as much of that stuff as possible. Like having win loss conversations, talking about the losses, what did we learn? What could we do differently? Talking about the wins, like how do we navigate this in this economy? Like these are all things that I think I see really great leaders just recognize like we gotta come closer together on this stuff. Otherwise we're all gonna learn the lesson individually and that's just a waste of everyone's time. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. Returning to this episode of Decision Point is Jen Allen. Jen is the Chief Evangelist at Challenger, as well as the host of Winning the Challenger Sale podcast. Jen returns to talk about the changing landscape of the sales world and how she's navigating it, as well as providing tips and tricks for others to navigate this tough landscape. You're famous here. We love having you. So I'm so glad to have you. So glad to have you on. Um, Let's talk about, um, I'm going to sort of give you the floor and let you sort of tell me what, uh, you know, what's exciting that's going on in the sales space. I know we got a lot of layoffs. Um, that looks like that's maybe starting. So that'll be an interesting topic to talk about. Um, but, you know, you can, ha- you can have the floor. And, and I know you got, you're passionate about a lot of stuff. So that I am. And, and I will say, like, I was just I was talking to Kelsey, your producer, when we were um, getting ready for this. And it's just really disheartening to see how much of it is happening. It almost feels like, you know, the first few came out and now everybody's like looking at each other like, OK, well, let's just jump on the bandwagon. Why, you know, why we're not going to be singled out. And I mean, I think about like even I think I've talked to you about this, even though I took on this different role, like I still carry a bag because it just helps me stay relevant and understand what's going on. And I've had a couple deals this month that were literally at signature stage, gone, gone through all the like approvals, all the stuff you needed. And then as a result of this stuff are, are falling out now. And so I personally feel it like I'm talking to a lot of sellers who are feeling it. And I think there's like, there's one big apparent lesson to me that I know, but just like we, it happens in sales, like we know something and then we forget it. And then we realize like, shit, like it happens again. Um, for me, like in a couple of these deals, like I was so focused on getting the consensus, like getting the many on board. So like some really cool stories that happened, like I disrupted a competitor who was like in signature stayed with them. They went back 20 stakeholders, like all the stuff that we normally talk about. But I think incorrectly, I focused a lot on making sure I won over the many. And what I failed to do in one of them was recognize there was someone else who had the ability to say no. And it's always a reminder to me that like one no can outdo 10, 15, 20 yeses. And I got hit with it. And it was just like one of those things where I'm now, like, did you know that it. that no existed? Did you know that, that you just, no, you didn't and know. It wasn't was even a no to us per se. It was like someone else had an order that was different. Like we need to do this and then that. And so like where we're at signature stage, we're going through terms and red lines and all that stuff this pops up and it was like nobody in the buying group knew what was going on. And so that was a, that was a hard one. Huh. My, my son learned one of his first sales lessons, which he got some, so he plays lacrosse. He put a bunch of cross, he found a field that just was like littered with lacrosse balls. So he, he grabbed like a whole trash can full of these lacrosse balls and his coach told him he'd buy it or maybe the team manager was maybe better said he'd buy him the balls. So, or buy the balls from him. So he's like, okay, I'll buy, I'll buy all these, I'll buy all these balls for you. So, uh, one thing led to another, and next thing, um, the 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 coach is using the balls, but he hasn't made his payment. 
and my kid's like, hey, I need I need to get paid. I need cash. I got two guys on the team that help me put them together. They need their they need their money. I need to get I need to get paid. So the coach comes after practice and he puts the balls down. There's a lot going on. And he put the balls down. He's like, um, hey, they decided they didn't want the balls. And he walked off. My kid's like, who's they? Oh. The point was, he didn't know all the buyers. He didn't know all the buyers, right? So he ended up buying the balls, but it was just really funny because he's like, who's that? Like, wait, I thought you were the guy. I'm like, I thought you were they. Yeah, what do you mean? There's, you mean they don't want the balls? I thought you were my buyer. I love that story. It's like so, so real. How often do we make that mistake? But anyways, he did, he did end up get he did end up getting paid. Oh, uh, good as he yeah. should. And he paid all his he paid all his his employees, so he's good. All his little workers. So. Good. More to anyway, be said than a lot of companies right now. So good that's, for you. That's right. so do you think so? What I think is interesting about the layoffs is: do you, um, do you think it's going to trick? There's lots of companies that haven't been able to hire um, because the market's been so tight. Do you think those trickle down, or do you think that we're going in? Do you think people need to tighten up their belts because we're getting ready to get into a rocky easement? Yeah, it's so hard to say. Like, I'm the last person to make like commentary on the economy. What I will say is, I do think moments like these are when sales leaders recognize that like the volume game is just not it, right? Like, we putting more bodies towards a growth challenge is never the right answer. And I do think the very best leaders who maybe like stumbled into it or felt pressure to drive growth that way will take a step back and realize like we've got to go for quality over quantity and like. There's no bad quantity that gets us out of this thing. But I do think for people that are hiring, I guess my concern is it's really hard to sit back and not feel like, hey, that could be us. Like it's just the uncertainty of it all that I think is the scary part. Because even if you have open positions, it's like you don't want to be the next company that brings someone on and two weeks later has to let them go. Yeah, and I'm seeing so much. I mean, that and like this is the era we live in, right? Where like people be, get put on blast for that. Like I'm seeing so much of that on LinkedIn where it's like finger pointing at the companies and the executives and all this stuff. And so hey, I think those same people are the people that are shouting everybody out when they're raising money. I mean, you can't the same people that are like high fiving everybody when the fundraising rounds are going in or the same people that are pointing at everybody when they're getting fired. They go hand in hand. I mean, you can't have you can't have the growth without the the um, they, I mean, I think they go, I think they go hand in, I think they go hand in hand. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I just, I think it's a time when like every individual seller really has to sit back and say like, is this a company where I feel safe? Is this a company where I see them investing in like the right type of things? And that's hard. Like I've never been part, I'm almost like, don't want to say it cause I don't want to like have it come true, but like, I've never been part of a layoff. I've been part of an organization where we've done layoffs. I just can't even imagine when I read these posts and I'm just like to wake up and then all of a sudden like your safety and your security is gone is just, uh, can't imagine. Well, one of the companies that, right. So there was, the, so one of the companies, there are lots of companies, but a company that I saw did a bunch of layoffs. Um, I remember maybe probably a year and a half ago, they had raised a ton of money and I remember being kind of like, yeah, look, we bootstrapped the business. I had raised a bunch of money in my previous company. I really had been committed to not raising money. We've done it so far. I can't say we won't do it in the future, um, but I really felt like we were in a market that we could grow a profitable business. I, I, this could change. I don't feel like we're in a, I do not feel like my space that I'm in is in a winner take all market. Um, so I feel like and that may change and I may have to, I may have to adjust my um, expectations and what, but, 
but optimizing for control and want to be and wanting to create a business that um, that I got to run and that I was able to um, impact my clients in a way that I felt like was in, in their best interest, not somebody else's best interest is really important to me. Now, with all that being said, there's a lot of money going around and there's been times where I'm like, man, that's that that seems that would be awesome, you know, <laughs> but one of these companies that I had a little bit of jealousy about just let a bunch of people go. Um, and, um, I talked to some of their people and I just, you know, it's like, you just don't, it's the, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. That's just it. Right. And it's, and then like, I can empathize. Like if you're super passionate about your business and someone's walking over the bag of cash, like I get the temptation. I totally do. But I do think it's what separates kind of great leaders is the ability to say like, okay, what am I signing up for? And like, what am I actually going to do with this money? Like it's a huge responsibility and it's, I mean, I think some of it probably, you know, I think our upbringing sometimes shapes how we look at things like that, but spending someone else's money recklessly, like I, I can sleep at night with that. Yeah. They're definitely a midway. I mean, it's, we have a totally different topic. Here's the thing that I think is interesting is that, um, you sold in a, you were in a recession, like you mm -hmm. sold in a, the great recession, right? Were you at CEB yep. when? Okay. Yep. Um, so it doesn't sound like there were any layoffs that you were part of. So that's awesome. Um, but there's a lot of people that don't know what it's, have any idea what it's like to be in a, to be, to sell in a recession. Yeah. Um, so it'll be real, it'll be interesting. Um, and every recession is different if we go into one. We may not even go into one. Who knows? Yeah, maybe not. I think we're all just like, we've got, you know. Could iron out. Could iron out. It. You've I sold mean, in yeah. a recession, right? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. What did you think was like, I mean, if you had to tell yourself, like, go back in time, like, what would you tell yourself to be prepared for? Yeah, no, that's a really good, I think um, just your expectations need to be adjusted. I mean, I was in, we were, we were winding a business. I was winding a business down in the recession. I mean, it was painful. Um, I think the big thing is your expectations have to be um, adjusted. And then you really have to think about the things that bring value to the, to the client and what's important to them. So you immediately have to really start understanding how they've been affected and how the whatever the new normal is, and look, every recession's really every recession's really different. I think, um, in what you sell really makes it makes a huge impact. So I think the first thing that happens in a recession, and we saw this in COVID, for for a little bit, is anything somebody can do themselves, they immediately cut. So that's like your marketing team, your SEO agency, your any service companies getting getting hacked. Um, I, that's my, that's my belief, my observation, my belief through observation and through just logic, right? Immediately you say, Hey, what can we do? What can we not do? So you slash everybody, um, that you can't, any vendor that you can't do yourself. Then you start looking at companies that you can't, you just can't live without. And so I think the, the important thing, and that and this is really where the challenger sale came, came to birth, right? Is in this is like, hey, there's a group of people that were not being affected. Um, but I think at the core, I mean, you could correct me, at the core of the challenger, I think is insight and value, right? It's mm -hmm. communicating insight and it's communicating value when everything else is falling apart. So I think those are, I mean, I do agree with that. I mean, I think immediately vendors get cut based on whether or not somebody can do it. And then they start looking at value uh, purchases. And it, and it could be a service. I mean, there's some things you can't, 
do that you have to have a service. But I think those service companies are definitely the first to get salted. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I, I mean, when I sold at CEB, we sold like an annual research subscription. Like when you're going through your list of stuff that you can cut, it's like, get that out of here. And it's tough, right? And I think- So how'd you guys handle that? Yeah. For me, it was it was definitely a roller coaster because I kept trying to use the same things that worked in, um, you know, in a good economy and realized like that it's just not like it's not doing anything. Um what ended up happening is like the the thing that works to our benefit that we often underappreciate is in a market like this, there is so much uncertainty. And it's not like, hey, we know the right things to do. It's just about executing. Like you get people who, I don't care if you've been a leader 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, like when you go into these uncertain times, like you candidly don't know what to do. And it's this really terrifying moment. And for many leaders, it's something they sit with independently. Like they can't tell their boss they're worried because that's not going to signal a ton of confidence. Maybe they have a network, but maybe they don't. And it, it's it's a really, really tough spot to be an executive. And I think when you look at sales conversations, it's why in that market, when we first studied Challenger, people who were out there just talking about their product and their solution, how great it was, just fell off a cliff. And people who were out there saying like, this is a really tough space to be in to sell whatever you sell, right? Like, I am here because I noticed that you're doing this when in reality it's causing all this risk and cost over here. And like that is this like, you know, when we talk about Challenger, I think we can be super, you know, researchy about it. But like to me, the whole idea is like how do you have a conversation with someone that they wish they had in the time and the day to have or they wish they had the data and the insight to be able to have? Like how do you as a seller show up and help them with that because candidly that's where executives want to spend their time nobody wants to spend their time at that level looking at like solutions for the most part i try to say not i try not to say nobody but very few people like like tell me about something i can spend money on a lot of people are like i, I need a safe place where i can be honest and and express things i'm unsure about and you don't get that right off the bat in a sales company you got to earn that Right. Cause like if it would be a creepy, weird world if every executive just like took a sales call and was like, you know, it's really scary for me. <laughs> so it's like that to earn it, you've got to lead with something that's like provocative and something that really is meaningful about the way they're running their business. Uh, that's really, that's really funny. So I think the one thing that the, um, um, I mean, why am I going to, I'm just like totally drawing a blank on my, on my favorite, um, Oh, okay. I'm, 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 I'm good. I'm good now. So I think the thing that um, the challenger uncovers is, you know, you talk a lot about research, you talk a lot about providing insights. And I think there's, there's a, there's an insight that David Ogilvy made that I think the data supports. So what he said was the good ones just know more. And so what he was saying is people, if you want to be the top, he was talking about advertising agencies. He's like, look, if you want to be the top, um, you just need to know more than your client knows about their market. If you sell petroleum, you need to go to a petroleum plant. Or if your client sells petroleum, you need to go to a petroleum plant. You need to get all the manuals that you can. You need to read all of So like the ad that they did on Rolls Royce that's famous, that it's like at 80 miles an hour, the only thing you could hear is the clock was a famous Rolls Royce. He got that from the manuals that he read from the from the dealer. So he got all the dealer, like, or he got the manufacturing manuals from the engineers. So this wasn't advertising that he was reading. And he just read how you met, how you build a Rolls Royce, like how they build it. And he read through it. And one of the things that was in there was like at 80 miles an hour, you could, the only thing in the Rolls Royce you could hear is the clock. And that was an engineering observation. 
and then turn around and build a big ad campaign. But I think that's what, I think that's what you guys really uncovered is that, that at the end of the day, people who sell in good economies and bad economies just know more, but that, but that's, that's a, I think that's any mark, any, any good, anybody that's good at something has to master the, the domain in which they're in. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it's the really good sellers that I admire do it regardless of the economy, right? Like that's just how they win to your point. And I think what an economy like this does is it widens the gap, right? You learn very quickly who is capable and who's not capable. And the thing that drives me absolutely bonkers is when someone's like, oh, but they're three months in or they're six months in, they they can't know that yet. Like that is a failure on the organization if you are not spending a good chunk of time when someone comes into the business and teaching them customer acumen. Like what is it like for the stakeholder we sell to? And in a market like this, right? Like teaching them what are all the things that are likely going off the rails that they're not going to want to open up about that we're going to have to find a way to broker that conversation. I think the other day, one of our, our VP of sales gave me really great advice. And he was like, you need to be going into these conversations and asking about how this market's affecting the client. And it's uncomfortable because it's like, we want to protect ourselves from hearing like, maybe it's going to be bad news. But the reality is if it doesn't come out early, it's going to come out late. And I think there's all sorts of things that great sellers do differently. That's another one is just making sure you're asking the hard questions up front so that you don't invest a ton of time, productivity, and then have to let your business down with a forecasted deal that doesn't close because you failed to just like be open and talking about some of this stuff with your customers. You should tell your VP of sales nobody tells the VP or the chief evangelist officer what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I take advice from everybody. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What's the oh, that's that's uh, that's uh, that's so awesome. You should just do it. See what he, like, see what he says. And then uh, hopefully you don't get fired. Uh, no, yeah, no. thanks. I'll be on your next time. Like, don't look at Do whatever you want. <laughs> Oh, okay. So let's talk about, let's talk about trading. What's the, um, so you kind of highlighted it. What's it, you've been in a lot of organizations. What's a good sales training program look like? And yeah, how impactful is it to, to bring yeah, you on good reps? Yeah. I mean, I don't care what partner you work for. Obviously I work for Challenger. I'm biased, but I think as long as your training program right now is focused on teaching sellers how to behave in the conversation itself. That's the thing I think really matters. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of great training programs. I do not want to knock them, but they focus on everything around the conversation. Like here's how you have an account. Sorry, my dog is like wheezing. Um, no, here's how you like, have like, an like here's all these related things outside of the conversation. And then what we do is we say, all right, seller, now go into the jungle and see what you find and good luck having the conversation. Like that's a really terrible way to prepare someone for the types of conversations that they're going to have. So regardless of who you work with, make sure the substance, the content that you're teaching is really, really focused on the conversation because that's the part that gets hard right now. Like process, great. We all need process. We all benefit from process. But what do I say when that person says we're making layoffs? What do I say when that person says you've been cut from my budget? Like we need to make sellers safe in that and not make it that that's their first experience trying to figure out like, what do I say in response to that? And that that to me is the most important thing right now, the focus on the conversation. What do you think? Uh, no, I think I think that's great. I mean, I, th- I think well, part of it, you know, we're working through... Um, our training, which sort of what brought kind of brought up the the question, mm-hmm. um, you know, I sort of think about selling is a lot like um, 
anything, which let's use um, it's summertime. So I'll be doing a lot of golf. So when you play golf, the most important thing is that your club is square on the ball for it to go straight. And so there's lots of ways to hit it, just like there's lots of ways to sell. Um, and when you're not hitting it straight, then you got to go back to the best practices and, pra and figure out the things that, um, that work. But if you're doing something weird and the ball's going straight, there's no reason why you can't continue to do that until it doesn't work. And I think so when you bring on, when you bring on salespeople, what happens is people that do weird stuff get on the internet and say, everybody should do weird stuff. And that's, yeah. not, that's, that's <laughs> not true. Everybody should not do weird stuff. Like if you're, everybody should just pick their own way to do this. And it's like, no, 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 no. Just because you have been successful in a unique strategy does not mean that everybody else should take up those same um, kind of run and gun decisions that we're just going to do what feels, I think that's real dangerous. So I do think it's super important to, when you bring a, uh, a person in that you try to create a framework and then you pick some kind of methodology that you're going to teach them because you don't want to confuse them. And um, there's a book about creativity and I can't tell you who, uh, unfortunately I can't remember the guy's name, but he, he brought up some good points. He said, the book's about creativity. I might have to Google it real quick. Just so I'm going to do one Google search um, on creativity book. I'm really struggling here and see what I get. We're the day after a long weekend. Like we, we are able to. I don't think that's it. I think <laughs> I, would, I really appreciate your grace and kindness. I'm pretty sure that that's not it, but I think I just am. Don't, it's, I don't know. Maybe I have too much coffee. I got brain swell. I don't know. Um, but, um, but so in the book, the guy talks about how things are created and how we are creative and how we think about creativity. And one of the things that he said was that typically, and there's kind of a couple different ways to, cre to create things, but um, a lot of times what happens is people copy and then they start making adjustments to the copy and then they create their own unique process. So they use musicians as an example. Typically great songwriters have, have learned to copy and cover somebody else's material. Then they mm. start making their own adjustments. Then they create something that's totally separate. And uh, um, is, your, is your dog on the mic? Is that your dog? I thought, what was it? Was like, men, so they went nuts. So I just muted. Oh, I was like a gremlin. <laughs> uh, but um, um, so I think the same thing is true when you train is that you need to create something. Hey, do this and copy. That's why I think if you're prospecting, I think scripts who people get really mad. I think they're important. Copy the script. Say it just like this. Then we're going to make changes. Then you can start doing stuff. If you don't like this word or that word. Let's do this 100. Let's talk 100 people and let's do this one script. You're going to copy this. You're going to do this. You're going to memorize it. We're going to talk to 100 people. And then after you talk to 100 people, if you don't like and you don't feel like this or that's natural, that's fine. We'll change it. You know, of the 100 people that you called, we can call them. We can call them all back in two weeks. They're not going to remember they talked to you unless you really screwed it up. If you really screwed it up, they'll remember. But you got to really screw it up. You know how forgetful people are is think about babies. If you had a baby if you remember how painful it was to have a baby you'd never have another baby and so you just see all these people run around just like forgetful <laughs> like that's how forgetful we are because so, nobody would do that twice if they could so remember. And I, I love what you said because you cannot figure out what is working and what is not if you don't have a control mechanism right and like when you're first starting out it is not the time or the place to try to like let me just blow up something and, and, you know, create something all on its own. I'm huge for creativity. I'm huge for like 
finding your own voice and not just reading a script like a robot. But I agree with you 100% that you have to understand like when I say X, what happens to be able to know how do I have to say it differently? And I think if you just leave it up to your people and you say, here are all the things that we talk about, or here's all the, the reasons our solution is valuable. Now you go pitch, you're really setting people up to fail. And it's not to say that they have to keep saying the script, but I do think repetition is important to understand how do I predict what's going to likely come out of my customers? I can't do that if I'm changing it every single no, time. No, you can't. And I and I think what happens is, and per, certain personalities do this. I know, um, I know that I've been culprit to it. Um, and so every Wednesday we have a... Um, uh, we do live phone calls and we bring in a sales consultant and one of the sales consultants said, Hey, you can't, every time you pitch, if it doesn't work out, you can't change it. You've got to stick to it. You've got to run it. And then after a period of time, then you can change it. But if you're changing based on what everybody says, you'll never come up with a script or you'll never come up with a pitch that that's going to be worth anything. And the same thing is selling, like whether you're selling a meeting or whether you're selling an actual deal, you have to come up with some consistent responses and try to figure out how you're, what your response, I say this, what are they going to say? Because if you don't do that, you're just, you're just all, you're just a windy salesperson. You're just all over the place. A hundred percent. I think what I love about what you described too, is I think it's, it's another thing I don't see sales organizations doing enough, which is like that team, like we're all going to come in, we're going to make cold calls together what by by not doing that i think what ends up happening is then everybody has to individually learn the lesson right like i have to mess up on a cold call to hear versus if i can hear so and so said this the customer said that it bypasses that step now i learn not by my own failure and i think that's another thing when you ask the question around like what should sales organizations be doing now as much of that stuff as possible, like having win-loss conversations, talking about the losses, what did we learn? What could we do differently? Talking about the wins, like how do we navigate this in this economy? Like these are all things that I think I see really great leaders just recognize, like we got to come closer together on this stuff. Otherwise we're all going to learn the lesson individually. And that's just a waste of everyone's time. Yeah. I, I So that's one of my favorite things on the Wednesdays when we do these calls, we, the, um, they're all done like together. So like one guy's taking a call, another guy's taking a call. You're learning as they're, as they're happening. I, I wish more of our clients would do that. Cause I think it'd be really beneficial. Yeah. Just get on one big call, make them all at the same time and mute out, you know, Love like, it. like everybody else mute out while you listen. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. No, I think it's so, I think it's so important, but it's so easy. Um, I mean, you're on the internet a lot. So you <laughs> probably understand like people grab random cliches and then spit them out if they're as if they're truths. And um, I, I, some of the things that are said, I'm like, man, I don't know that that's true. I don't know that that's true. Or like, uh, it's like my my uh, my wife said when I told we were hanging out, and I thought we were having fun. We had gone to dinner, and I'm like, we're having a blast. She's like, except for we're not. <laughs> she got a couple of drinks. I thought we were having fun. She said, except for we're not. Uh, uh, I was like, let me go back and correct that. I'm having fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm having fun. <laughs> she didn't drink. She didn't do any drinks. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but anyways, yeah, same thing is, you know, you pull stuff off the internet and it's like, sometimes it works except for when it doesn't. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, that's why I think like the messaging aspect of sales is so, so incredibly important. Like you could have the best product in the world. You could have the best service in the world, whatever. 
in, in these types of environments, you need to get to the point quickly and you need to make it so relevant so that the customer is the star of the story. And, and I, you know, I know we've talked about this on previous podcasts, but the whole like pain of same has to be greater than the pain of change. The point you made earlier around, which I completely agree with, where people in these times look to see what can we do ourselves. We have to put that at the forefront of our minds as sellers and recognize I'm not just competing against the next competitor. Like I'm competing against this customer saying, I think I can do it myself. And I don't have any evidence to the contrary that would suggest differently. Like some of the coolest messages I see are where the seller exposes like, yes, you can do it yourself. Like doesn't disagree. I agree. You absolutely can. Here's what is happening as a result of you owning this. This big thing over here now fails or this thing over here slows down because you're spending time doing something you can do but really shouldn't do. But it's not even the fault of our buyers, right? Like they're all like trying to figure stuff out too and they're in a really crazy time. And so that's why I think it really works when you are able to go into your point and know your customer's business and know what's the impact of them making that decision to do it themselves. How many clients, this is a random question. How many people sell products? Like I think of ourselves as being unique. Like we sell the product, like we are the client to the product we sell. Most companies are not that way. Like you yeah. sell a product that, and, and you're kind of that, I mean, you guys might be kind of that way, but most companies don't sell solutions that they're actually clients for. So mm -hmm. we sell logistics software. We're not a logistics company. We sell finance software. We're not a bank. Uh, we sell revenue revenue. We don't really recognize. I mean, there's just, you could just insert any, um, you, do you think most people are that way? And so therefore it's really hard to think about the client because they're not, they have no, no, no like grounding. I, I definitely think it makes it harder. Right. And I think that's why you see in industries like that, there's so many subject matter experts or product engineers that support sellers on a call. Like we have it easy in the sense that like, we do the job. We know what the problem, we don't know the individual's take on the problem, but like we have enough information you could go in. There's not like a head of sales I'd be terrified to talk to. Um, but you put me on the phone with a CFO and try to talk about a CFO's challenges. Like that's a lot harder of a hill to wow. climb. And that's where I think to your point, like it is on the organization to help that seller understand the world of the CFO, forget about the product we're selling them. Like, and we skip over that a lot. It's just like, here's the thing that we do and here's why it's helpful without thinking about 40, 50 other things in that sphere that that CFO would care about that we are ultimately competing against. Yeah, well, it's going to be, um, it's going to be super interesting just how things uh, pan out. I don't know if, you know, we may have a market correction, may not. I, don't, I think at the end of the day, you can't worry about that. I mean, you can't exactly. control. There's literally only one thing at your company that you can control is the people you hire. Everything That's else is like true. no control. I mean, you don't have, you can control which clients you bring on or to some relevant extent. You can stop bad clients from being on if they're not good clients and you can and you can pick the people that you work at your business, but everything else yeah. you don't really have a lot of control over. No, um, so okay. someone wrote this the other okay. day, I asked this question of like, what would be the one thing you'd go back in time and tell yourself as a new seller? And um, oh shoot, his name is escaping now. He's a VP at Qualtrics and he no, said- like, Brad Seaman now. Can't I know it's spreading. <laughs> he was like, I would um, have learned the lesson to stay between like a three and a seven on my mindset scale in reaction to events like this. Meaning like when something bad happens, don't drop down to a one. When something good happens, don't go to a 10, like stay between three and seven. I thought that was really clever. I thought like that is no, true. I think, I think that's, I mean, you got to stay between the mountaintops, right? Because if you get too high or too low, um, well, and I think the one thing that's interesting about, you know, if we see a correct, you know, now we're talking, if we see a correction, 
um, how many people are going to be shocked about their skills? You know, mm -hmm. like you, everything seems uh, to have a conversation. What's your dog? What's your dog's name? That one's Muggsy. Oh, you got two Muggsy, Muggsy, Muggsy three. Bugs? Muggsy. Oh, three I wasn't even after Muggsy Bugs. And everybody thinks <laughs> it is. I just thought he looked like a Muggsy. He looked like a Muggsy? Uh -huh. And Toby. So yeah, all right. I got I to gotta tell you sidetracked. I can't even, I can't even remember what we, uh, <laughs> what we were talking about. Muggsy Bugs, the basketball player. Anyways. Um, oh, it's so easy to forget. You know, I, th I think the thing that happens here is people are going to get checked because your skills everything's going good i'm selling a bunch i think i'm great right the economy is going to adjust and you're going to see a lot of people that are going to get confused because you've got to understand that a lot of times a guy's having a conversation with uh with an employee who who was saying um was really spending some time patting themselves on the back about how good um the business was doing and how that was a representation of their um their effort and I thought to myself, I didn't say this. I probably should have said it to him. But hey, if we if the economy changes and that's not the case, are you going to feel the same way? Are you going to continue to sit like you can't really use our success as the barometer for whether you're successful or not? I, I don't think I, I think too much. We look in the like, oh, we're doing really good. And, and, and um, you know, I'm a big John Wooden fan. So he talked a lot about this. Like he wasn't trying to get the score. You know, he wasn't trying. He, he wasn't trying to win as much as he was trying to get everybody to be perfect. Because it's easy to be deceived when you're winning that you're doing the right things. And you can do all the right things or you can do all the wrong things and get the right result. And so as a seller, I think there's other questions you have to sell yourself. You have to ask yourself um, besides, hey, did we get the deal? The deal is not really, I, I don't think, I think you got to look at other things. Did we solve a problem? You know, how do we do the presentation? How did they respond? You know? There's, I mean, I think there's a lot of things. And as I were talking, I'm sort of challenging myself. I was like, what are some of those things? What are some of the things that when you're selling are good indicators of success that might not necessarily be contributed to the close? And I don't know. I'm going to spend some time thinking about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I think, you know, in in situations like this, it becomes very obvious what is order taking and what is selling. Like those are two distinctly different. I can be an excellent order taker and absolutely suck at sales. And I think there's, it's been interesting. I've been in this business for a really long time. It's, it's like usually like three to six months after any event like this, you start to get like an inbound flux of demand because it takes that long. I think for a sales re leader to realize, shoot, we got a lot of order takers. And now that we have to go out and create demand, not just capture it or react to it, we we're struggling and we don't know what to say because we're used to people saying they're interested. And when they're not, we don't know how to fix that part. And that's like, I don't want to undermine it. Like it is a huge, huge difference maker. I think between a great order taker and a, a great salesperson is you got to create the demand. It doesn't just exist for you to take. So I'm so glad we entered this subject because I think this is a great kind of anchor topic. How do you identify the difference between an order taker and a seller? Because they're obviously it, it, when the economy is good, it's hard. So what are some of the things that are attributes that you'd say, um, you know, it's like uh, David Fox, or you might be a redneck if so you <laughs> might be an order taker if. Yeah, I think you might be an order taker if you I love this. Are... I would like this to do. If you are waiting for marketing to send you leads and you're getting really frustrated that they're not coming, like I was one of those persons, so I can say it. 
I realized like I was angry because I wasn't getting the amount of leads I felt like I deserved. And then I realized it's because there's just not demand that exists, right? And I could point the finger at marketing or I could show up and do something different about it. And should we get leads as, as being in sales? Sure. I, I mean, that would make it a, a really easy job. But in those moments, like I, I think a true seller recognizes I'm not going to get enough leads to sustain the type of you know growth goal that I have. So I'm going to go out there and create it. And I think people who are creative and innovative at Outbound and who realize there's no like easy answer, but they're willing to try different things and different channels and just open-minded about it is one of the biggest signals to me of someone who's like a true seller because they realize like it, star it starts and stops with me. That's one. Any more? Any more? You gotta, I, I, know we're on, I know you're on the... Uh, so a second one would be um, how you manage in a buying group setting. So what I mean by that is let's say you get one interested stakeholder, whether it's a lead, whether it's you've created that outbound motion and they react to it. I think the other thing is like an order taker goes into those conversations with the expectation that everybody is on board and people generally want the solution. And my job is to show up and talk about how great the solution is. I think great salespeople recognize that in environments like this, getting one interested stakeholder is nice, but you are nowhere near the finish line. And your job as a seller is to go in and surface all the disagreement that likely exists on should we even be solving this problem or should we be using that money for something else? Like all of those problems, great salespeople show up and they have those difficult conversations and they're able to be comfortable in discomfort and uncomfortable moments and having that client debate with one another and facilitating that. Like that to me is another mark of someone who's a really, really good salesperson. I think good salespeople are comfortable. Maybe it's the, it's like the amount. I think good salespeople are comfortable with uh, or have a little bit of faith to realize things are going to work out. Um, things are going to work out and they're not so... Um, you know, they'll tell you, hey, go talk to this person or that person if they're not a good fit. Like good salespeople know when a product's not a good fit that you yes. should go somewhere else. I think ultimately the root of that is like they, they, they have, um, they, they believe that things are going to be better in the future than they are today. So we could talk about positivity or you could probably put all kinds of different labels on that. But I think you got to be, as a good seller, you got to be comfortable with saying, you know, hey, this is with a no. You got to be comfortable with a no. Bad sellers 100%. are are always and and I think sometimes and this may be service to service some of this is my observation from people who sell services. Uh, it's service selling is hard because you can get your ego in your product really confused. Mm. Like are they buy like did they buy me or did they buy the solution that we sold? And you can have like a real identity crisis. <laughs> yes. <You're smiling. laughs> Everybody loves it. Yes, you can. I mean, and like the research that we have done on what drives client loyalty suggests that like over half of it is them buying the seller, right? And so it's like, it, but I it go back to what you said before, you've got to be very careful about not assuming that that's what they're buying. If someone came in because they loved your product and really want your product and you were the person that facilitated that, that might make you a great order taker. If you are the person that took someone from saying, I don't need this solution or service or whatever it is, and you converted them to saying, oh, shoot, like I actually do really need it and I need to go pound my fist on the table to get it done. That's a say, like that is a true salesperson. And I think this is the environment, like as scary as it is, this is the environment where you just got to experiment. You got to try different things and you got to look to people that you admire, who you think are figuring it out and study them and learn them. No one's going to give you the answer to the test here. Who are some of your, you said you have some, who are some of your favorite salespeople? 
Yeah. So Josh Braun is one of my favorite, favorite sales people. Um, he's amazing on LinkedIn. He shares so many practical, tactical ideas. Like you can read his posts, get an idea, go write an email differently off the back of it. I, the, I, I'm a huge fan of people who write like that. That's one. Um, two is Bilal Batrawi. Uh, he is, he started a sort of death to fluff community. Um, and he works for GTM buddy. He's someone that I think is like my North star of who I would look to in a tough time because he always has a different way of thinking about sales. Sometimes it's small things. Like he was on our podcast the other day and he was saying, you know, when you do get in a live meeting, um, one thing that people discount is when someone laughs and you look to see who they're looking at when they're laughing, I guess it's like, it's proven that like you look to the person you feel most comfortable with. So you can start to observe what are the interpersonal dynamics of the people in the group setting just by doing that. So he has actually like a spotter on his um, virtual calls. Cause you can't like, if you're sharing your screen, sometimes it's hard to do both. And that person is literally taking so notes. How do you do that? It's like, I'm going to look up at your, yes. look up at the, like who I, they're going to guess who they think I'm looking at. Yes. 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 And it's, it's wild. Like things like that. I'm like, that's a really small thing, but what we're often struggling with in sales is like, how do you read your audience? And so that's what I mean about him. Like he's always got like sort of really different ways of thinking big and small about things. So I, I really admire him a lot. Um, there's so, I mean, there's so many, there's so many good people right now. Um, so I'm going to ask you a couple for a couple more, but yeah. one of the things, so I've got a friend of mine that always says, in a relationship, the person with the least amount of interest has the most amount of power. And that's so Ooh. true in the sales cycle, because the, you know, what happens in when we sell, I'll repeat it. The person with the least amount of interest has the most amount of power in a, in a relate in any relationship. Um, and what typically happens is you're selling to people who have the are most interested in your product because it has the most value to them. And then you're all typically being shot down the people that have the least amount of interest um are vetoing it's a cfo it's a ceo don't know what's going on it's some guy that's been put in this department to manage these marketers and he doesn't know what's you know he doesn't know what's going on so i think that that's very true when you sell is that you've got to pay attention to who's the person that cares the least about this we always ask who cares the most right who who's this most impact who's who's this going to make the biggest difference for you know, we go sell to this person who's going to, we never say who just get, doesn't give a rip. Who'd shut this sucker down in a second because they could just care less. I love that. I've never thought about it like that way. And I think it is so, so smart because those are going back to my example earlier of the deal that I lost. It was the person who candidly cared the least. Yeah, right. Candidly. And it's so, it just takes that one powerful no to blow the whole thing up. I love that, Brad. I was just sitting there laughing because I'm like, Jen, who hates you? Who, who's like totally going to smash this deal? Like, who just would love to see you just like lose at this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or anybody, I'm just like, I'm, like, if you're selling, you know, you're just asking the person like, who, who pretty much hates you at the organization? I just want to get a list going. Oh, man. But I no, that. I think that's so true. You spend a lot of time thinking about people who are going to be, who, who you're going to impact who, I mean, have you ever been in a sales training where they said, you know, I mean, think about the buyer's table. We always focus on the person's life. We're going to make the diff biggest difference for, we never say to ourselves who just could care less about this deal. And you need to spend your time trying to, we sort of talk about it. Like, you know, tell me the buyer's table, tell me who has to be involved. 
Um, you know, is there anybody that, you know, um, you know, you got to get approval from, but you never say just like, who cares the least, like who could just care less about. <laughs> I think it's an awesome question, especially right now to be just like putting into your process, to it, say, yeah. like just ask it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, anyways, so any, any other buyers that you just real or sellers that you just really love? Yeah. So I actually met this guy, um, Ravi Rajani, uh, last week for the first time. I had a bunch of people coming to me being like, you got to meet this guy. He's like so great. He basically is, um, he started off selling in finance and then he moved, um, completely changed directions. He trains on storytelling and sales now. And I had him on the, had him on the podcast last week. And I mean, talk about someone who just like, you know, you read body language. Like I was just leaned in the whole time. He's fascinating. He's so, he's one of those people that just like, it almost comes across like magical. And then you real listen to him break down how he does it. And you're just like, thank you. Thank you for not just making this like so ethereal and hard to understand. So I really, really liked him. And I think the thing, the reason I mentioned him as well is just because in moment in, in markets like this, the other thing we have to do is like a rational case for change is not enough. Like you really do have to appeal to someone's emotional sort of like decision-making side, because sometimes they can look you in the face and be like, absolutely, it's the right call. I can see the ROI. Yes, let's do it. But I'm so fearful to go to my boss and ask for money when like these things are happening around us. Repeat that yeah. quote. What was the, what was the quote? Um, you said a rational. Oh, rational. in times like these, like rational decision, like rational cases for change are not enough. I, I make that, I made that mistake all the time. Like, well, you'll get an ROI of X and it'll solve your problem. Right. But that person still has to go to someone, ask for money, explain why they want that money to go here instead of somewhere else. And I think unless you really make a strong emotional connection to that person, it's really difficult to compel them. And, and I will say the last point on it. We actually studied a few years ago, we looked at out of all the buyers, champions who want what you have to sell, like they, they actually really want it. I think it was 49% of them would advocate for it. So basically one out of every two will advocate and the other person won't, which is insane. So I might want it, but I'm not going to advocate for it. Right. They're not one in the same. And I confuse that a lot. Like they really want it. Clearly their next step would be to advocate but there's many buyers who just don't want to put themselves out there. Like, yeah, I'd love to buy it. I'll support it if my boss comes to me and asks about it, but I'm not going to be the guy or gal that does it. That's crazy. Like that yeah, person. It's kind of like referrals though. Like when, if you have clients that refer a lot of work to you, they refer work to you regardless of whether, like they're just referrers. Yeah. And then there's other people that doesn't matter what you do to try to get them to do it. They're just never going to refer business. Yeah. Whether, uh, but intrinsically, I don't know why that is, but some people just like to connect and some people don't. Um, exactly. So, well, this was awesome. Like I always love having you on. I feel like we covered so much good ground. I know we're coming yeah. up to an, an exit ramp here, so we're going to have to <laughs> hop off, but this was so much fun. I'm so happy for you. So oh, congratulations. You. It's so and, much fun coming on here. I just love talking to you. So yeah, much. I love it too. We had a great, great time. So thank you so much and we'll see you again. All right. Thanks, Brad. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. As always, uh, if you want more information on the podcast, go to monsterconnect.com forward slash podcast. Uh, you can get last season's, uh, last year's episodes. You can get all the new episodes for this year. And as always, remember, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can. Until next time.